You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Wait a minute. Hold on. That was the wrong one. I did not want to play that today. Uh, I'm going to start the show in a different way today. Bear with me one second. That's the wrong thing. That's not supposed to be there. All right. So in that case, we're going to just do it from um, here. I don't even know if I have that one up here. Damn it. You know, sometimes things don't work the way they're supposed to. Ah, okay, I got it now. The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. She's got the news. She talks with newsmakers. She encourages us to laugh, and she cries with us. Speaking truth to power and questioning authority daily, it's the Nicole Sandler Show. All right. Well, welcome to a Monday, everyone. Such as it is. It is a Monday. Um, A bunch of stuff going on. One is the gremlins are out. For whatever reason, my studio is not behaving. 
as it should. I am unable to connect to the um, the servers for Progressive Voices. So anybody listening to Progressive Voices today is hearing an old show. Sorry about that. But if you're here on YouTube or if you're listening to my stream, hopefully at NicoleSandler.com on the Listen Live page or at NicoleSandlerStream.com, you're hearing us. And I, I don't know how entertaining a show this is going to be today. Um, because we lost one of ours. We lost a family member. Um, I've been doing this show for what, 15 years now. You know, when, you know, this is a continuation of the show I did on Air America Radio. And um, we were 70s type theme song. All right. I don't, I don't know. Uh, sorry, I'm going to be all over the place today. Um, back when I was on Air America, I was there during for its final year. So I wasn't really there for Air America's heyday. But I was there, um, again, up in, for the last year until the day, day we signed off. And Air America didn't have a chat room, didn't have a video component. I mean, it went off the air in 2010. So we're talking, you know, 13 years ago already. And a lot of technology has changed since then. Um, I was on late at night. My show was 11 to one, 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern. And Tom Hartman used to let me use his chat room at TomHartman.com when I was on the air. So I would do that. And then some listeners suggested that I start streaming video. Now, this was before... I mean, YouTube was around, but you couldn't just stream to YouTube. There was another service called Ustream, letter U, stream, that I used to stream on. I believe Ustream has become Twitch, but don't quote me on that. I'm not, I'm not sure. But there were a handful of people who populated that chat room, Tom Hartman's chat room late at night during my show on Air America. And one of them was Joy Williams. And Joy, I remember Joy, she used to uh, talk about living on a commune, basically, in Northern California. And um, she raised alpacas. And she was just a free spirit. And Joy, you know, then I moved to Ustream, and she followed me over there. And and when Air America went off the air, um, to... My new home, wherever it was, and I've I've moved around a lot, but I've always been here. It was, you know, radioornot.com for a while. And, you know, still, if you put radioornot.com into your computer, it will bring you to NicoleSandler.com. Um, we've had ups and downs. There were a couple of years when I think she didn't listen, but she came back. And um, uh, Joy, Joy passed away this weekend. Now, I'm wearing... If you can see, if you're watching on video, I'm wearing this little sunflower uh, necklace and earrings. Joy sent these out. They, they're cheap. They're just, you know, they're not real gold. Um, but she got a whole bunch of these and sent them out to everybody who wanted them after Russia invaded Ukraine because sunflowers are the national flower of Ukraine, and there are great stories about sunflowers, and it's just a 
It's a way to signal support. And she sent them to everyone. And I put together a care package, you might recall, that I um, befriended a woman named Tanya over in Kiev. Tanya, who with her husband owns the Friends Forever Hostel in Kiev. And I was putting together a package of stuff to send to her. And Joy said, can you wait to send it out? I want to send you a, um, a sunflower set for Tanya. And I did. Unfortunately, she never got the package. We wound up sending it to her in Dubai when she was visiting her sister. And it never made it to her. And it, and it was returned to me here. And I was thinking that I would send it, resend it to Tanya in Kiev when things quieted down a bit. But things haven't quieted down at all. Um, I knew last week, I actually called Joy one day last week to see how she was doing. And she was just upbeat. She said, I'm doing okay, you know, have my have my good days and bad Um and and actually, the reason I called her was because somebody in the chat room said that Joy was uh, in hospice care. And I know that you only get hospice care when you're dying. And now we know Joy fell ill a few months ago. Um, first, she told me she had cancer. I'm not quite sure what cancer it was. And then we learned that she was having liver failure. And, um, you know, it went back and forth with the doctors and she was in and out of the hospital and uh, we communicated that whole time. She's been in and out of YouTube, in and out of the chat room, but more out than in lately. Um, But last week, when I heard that she was getting hospice care, I called and she's like, oh, I'm fine. It was great. They came over. They They helped me bathe. They washed my hair. I feel great. I have clean hair. And then the next day, she even came in the chat room and she hung out. And I I was thinking, wishful thinking, I guess, that she was doing okay. I meant to call her over the weekend, and of course I didn't. And then this afternoon, Tom called her husband and told me that Joy passed away. Um on uh, Friday, Friday afternoon. And he was with her and talking to her and holding her hand. And she was breathing, a, you know, a uneasy breath. And, and he said, and then I noticed that the, the sound, the, the raspiness stopped. And then I saw that her, um, her chest wasn't moving. And Joy was gone. A, a line, a line from a song comes to mind whenever I hear that somebody died. And it's, I don't know what happens when people die. Can't seem to grasp it as hard as I try. And it's a line from a Jackson Brown song. And it seems appropriate today. So I'm going to read this for you, to you, for us. And the song is called For a Dancer. And it goes like this. I'd play it for you, but I can't. I'd get copyright violated, and we don't want that to happen. Keep a fire burning in your eye. Pay attention to the open sky. You never know what will be coming down. I don't remember losing track of you. You were always dancing in and out of view. I must have thought you'd always be around. 
Always keeping things real by playing the clown, and now you're nowhere to be found. I don't know what happens when people die. Can't seem to grasp it as hard as I try. It's like a song I can hear playing right right in my ear, but I can't sing. I can't help listening. And I can't help feeling stupid standing around crying as they ease you down. Because I know that you'd rather we were dancing. Dancing our sorrow away. No matter what fate chooses to play, just do the steps that you've been shown by everyone you've ever known until the dance becomes your very own. No matter how close to yours, another's steps have have grown. In the end, there is one dance you'll do alone. Keep a fire for the human race. Let your prayers go drifting into space. You never know what will be coming down. Perhaps a better world is drawing near. Just as easy, it could all disappear, along with whatever meaning you might have found. Don't let the uncertainty turn you around. The world keeps turning around and around. Go on and make a joyful sound. Into a dancer you have grown from a seed somebody else has thrown. Go on ahead and throw some seeds of your own. And somewhere between the time you arrive... And the time you go may lie a reason you were alive that you'll never know. Jackson Brown for a dancer. Today, going out for joy. I'm so sad. And I'm not quite sure how we progress from here. And again, today is just a weird day because my computer's not working right. And, uh, you know, the gremlins as it were, are here again. So should you care to call in, um, feel free. The phone lines are open. 954-889-6410 is the number. Now, um, Steve, I don't know. I'm looking at the chat room. I'm glad I spoke to, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I spoke to Tom as well. Um, you know, and it, it's true. Uh, Diane in the chat room just said, that's why I always tell my friends, friends and family that I love them. You never know. You never know. Um, so I'll tell you what. I recorded an interview this morning to air today um, because... Uh, well, because I was going to talk to Jennifer Benjury from Huffington Post today anyway. And I think maybe now um, is the time to listen to that interview. Because frankly, this is a story that I know Joy cared about as well. Um, Last week, I'm I'm flitting around the internet and I stopped by HuffPost. It's no longer Huffington Post, it's HuffPost. And um, uh, uh, there's a story there about about, uh, Leonard Peltier. And we've talked about Mr. Peltier on this program before. He's a Native American man who has been imprisoned for a ridiculous amount of time. And Monday was the 48th anniversary of his incarceration. That's right. You heard me right. 48 years. It's just unconscionable. So I thought we should get Jennifer Bendry on the line. And I did. Here we go. Today is Jennifer Bendery, who is a senior reporter for HuffPost. 
you've been there since it was Huffington Post. You've been there for a long time, huh? Yes, I have. And, and things have changed a little bit. You guys are now, um, are you owned by BuzzFeed or are you working in conjunction with them? How does, what's happening over there? BuzzFeed Media Group owns us now. Okay. That, hap- that happened uh, dirt, like right when the pandemic hit. Oh, so boy. it was like a kind of a weird time. So are things smoothed out now? You're just moving full steam ahead and still uh, churning out the news as you've been for a long time over there. Yeah. Yeah. We're pretty solid. So we're just chugging along, doing our thing. Cool. Well, I I called on you because it's a week later already. I just it was a busy week last week. But you had a piece up at HuffPost last week about Leonard Peltier. And my listeners know who Leonard Peltier is because we talk about him from time to time. Sadly, not often enough, mostly because there's no news to share. Now, the reason you wrote this piece, I guess, is because last Monday was the 48th anniversary of his imprisonment. 48 years, this man has been locked up with no end in sight. That's about right, yes. He is uh, coming up on 50 years in prison after a um, a pretty problematic trial that put him in prison in the first place and decades of people um, urging his release, including not just international human rights leaders like Pope Francis or Nelson Mandela, um, Coretta Scott King. Uh, I mean, pretty much pick a very, very well-known international human rights leader, and they have almost certainly called for his release immediately. Um, but on top of that, some of the same people who helped keep him in prison all these years have since said he doesn't belong there, and uh, they have regrets. They they wish things didn't play out the way they did. Times have changed. There was racism at play here. There were lies involved in by the U.S. government um, that put him in prison. Um, we're talking about an, the J. Edgar Hoover era of the FBI that really wanted him behind bars at a time when they were going after social justice um, advocates and activists. And now here we are in 2023 with this person still in prison from that era, despite no evidence that he committed any real crime, um, a trial full of problems that would not stand up today. And on the on the back end of that, his parole process has been extremely um, bizarre and unfair. And the it's so bad that the United Nations Human Rights um, Panel, a bunch of legal experts over there, took a very unusual step um, this last year to reexamine his case and issue a scathing 17-page um, working group report to the president of the United States saying. Um, okay, hi, we're international human rights leaders and, or lawyers, and we reviewed this case of this person in your country who's in prison who does not belong there, and we, we're going to lay out our legal findings, and our conclusion is that he remains in prison because he is Native American, and you need to release him immediately if you believe in any shred of justice. And so th- that was last year. So it's, it's one of these really um, interesting cases because this person has been in prison for so long that his biggest problem at this point is that people don't know who he is anymore. Right. And he's, it's, he's, it's, his, his biggest liability is, I think that, well, his big, one of his biggest liabilities is that people simply don't know who he is and don't know who, his story and don't know that he's in prison. And of course, his biggest liability is that the FBI, um, 
50 years later is still holding the line and saying he belongs in prison, even though they don't have any real reason why. Yeah. And it's you pretty know, obvious they don't have a solid argument for why he should be in prison. And the only reason that they can give is a statement that I've received from them that is I've fact checked and it's just full of problems. It's not accurate. It's, it's outdated. It's misleading. It, it, it's arguing a point that has since been refuted by facts. So it, it's I've, the way to sum up his imprisonment at this point is it's a, as I've said before, it's like a, a dumpster fire in plain sight. We all just look at it and know that this is not right. And yet, He's still there. So right. I, so so most of my listeners, I think, know the story. But as you said, there's so many people who don't know. They maybe have heard his name because it's been bandied about. You know, we, we still talk about the fact that Leonard Peltier is in prison. But let's talk about what got him there. It was 1975. There was an FBI shootout on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. Um now, they never had any evidence that, that Leonard Peltier murdered anyone. Um, other people were cleared. Uh, can, you, can you give just the, the basics of what the case was in the first place? There was a shootout on a, on a reservation in South Dakota, Pine Ridge Reservation, right. um, where a couple of FBI agents went onto the reservation. And there's a whole backstory to why they were there at all that is deeply problematic. Um, but they were on this reservation driving around and it was a very sensitive time um, politically between some tribes and with the FBI trying to instigate tensions and violence between tribes for their own purposes. So in the middle of all this, they came driving onto the reservation, um, poking around and uh, there was a shootout ensued and the two agents were shot and killed. Another man was killed. A native man was killed who doesn't get much attention at all because he wasn't an FBI agent. So he's sort of a, a side note, but another person was killed that day who was native. Um, so then the FBI was, this was a very high profile case. So the FBI was looking a little caught off guard and it was a disaster. And again, I, I will, I can't go into the whole backstory of why right. they were there in the first place, but it's deeply problematic. Um, so these two FBI agents were killed. The FBI went on to try to figure out who did it. They rounded up some people who were there that day. And there were several people there that day. Um, and they arrested a handful of people, including Leonard. Right. Um, and he actually went to Canada and was extradited. And that was also problematic legally. But in the end, they arrested some people who were there that day on the reservation who had guns. And all of Leonard's co-defendants were acquitted. Acquitted on, on the ground of self-defense. Ex- all of them, except for Leonard Peltier. Yet there was never any evidence that he did anything different than his co-defendants who were cleared uh, on self-defense. Correct. And so then they said, okay, well, we've got one left. We've got this Leonard Peltier person. Um, and essentially the U.S. Attorney's Office and the FBI were where they wanted someone to go to prison. They needed someone to go to prison because they had just lost two agents. So a trial pursuit began and uh, exculpatory evidence was hidden by the government uh, that that showed that the gun that that Peltier had was not in fact the gun that shot these people. Um, They never in fact figured out who killed these two agents, but 
the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office were determined to put someone in prison to say that they got the bad guy, so to speak, right. who killed their agents. They hid evidence that showed Leonard didn't have the gun. They threatened, the FBI threatened some um, some indigenous people who were there, threatened their families, threatened them personally, and coerced them into lying to say things about Leonard that weren't true. And this all came out later. This is all yeah. fact-checked out there. Um there are all kinds of problems. There was someone on the jury who on the second day of the trial openly said she was racist against native people. And they kept her on they, the jury they kept her on anyway. So there's all kinds of things that were like, what? what? But right. this trial still stood granted. This was like 50 years ago. Um, and they prosecuted him and put him in prison. And, and during the trial, they were, they're trying to get him for murder. Like they're saying, you murdered these two agents. You're our fall guy. But then during the trial, they realized they didn't, I think the exculpatory evidence was revealed or something shifted where they realized they didn't, they didn't have any proof, which is sort of the crux. Right. And, and in, in your trial. piece, in your piece, Jen Bender, you write, why is he still in prison? The FBI simply doesn't want him to get out ever, even as its stated argument for keeping him there is wildly outdated, misleading and flat out wrong. Is there nothing that we can do? I know, look, I know there's an organization, Progressive Secretary, who's called into the show that they have a letter writing campaign to the president to free this man already. I know there are, you know, names that you already mentioned, um, uh, human rights advocates from around the world have been saying enough already let this man out he's in poor health he's suffering what, what do you say he's got um he he's he uses a walker now he's blind in one eye from a partial stroke he has serious health conditions related to diabetes and an aortic aneurysm my god what are we doing to this man well and just to back up a little bit we just were talking about how problematic his imprisonment in the first place was, but decades have gone by since then that have since completely changed the facts of what happened that day of his role in it. And he's never said he, he's never denied he was there that day or that he had a gun, but he has always maintained that he's, he didn't shoot anybody. Right. So, um, fast forward to decades of, of protests over this. And then today it's his parole process that has been, really flawed so on the front end and the back end of his imprisonment it's been deeply deeply problematic outside of the norm and the only consistent threat is that the fbi doesn't want him to get out that's it and so that's really the the obstacle to his him getting out before he dies in prison so the question is well then what does it take and right. you mentioned a letter writing campaign i mean there have been letter writing campaigns for 50 40 years that's right um multiple presidents passed on on granting him clemency when they could have there's a few reasons why some of them did um uh i don't understand why president obama did not really nor him. do i um but here we are um 2023 um there's now a pressure campaign mounted to get joe biden to release him but your office and got a response from a biden spokesman a year ago you said the last time HuffPost remembers getting a response was in february of 2022 <laughs> And the statement from Biden, from a Biden spokesman said, quote, we are aware of Mr. Peltier's request for a pardon and the outreach and support of his request. As many of you know, President Biden has a process for considering all requests for pardon or commutation, which is run through our White House counsel's office. I don't have more to share on Mr. Peltier's request at this time. Well, it's been a year since then and still they don't have anything to share. 
That's right. And and to be clear, I have asked the White House um, repeatedly in the last year for comments about him because I've written numerous stories about him in the last year relating to new senators suddenly calling for his release and letters from United States senators to Biden calling for his release and um, like different people involved in his past coming forward and calling for his release. So there's been like stories written in the last year because his case is still a thing. Like people are still calling for his release at high levels. Um, but each time I've written about these little developments, the White House has not provided any comment. Now, you also so, have on on HuffPost with the story, you have embedded an interview with Deb Holland. She was the first Native American elected to Congress, if I remember correctly. And now she's the Secretary of the Interior. What has she said about this? Well, she is a very strong supporter of him being released. And she was when she was in Congress. She I think she she either led a letter or was definitely a co-signer of a letter to the president, the prior president, to release Leonard from prison. So she is very much aware of his imprisonment. She's very, uh, has very clear feelings about it. But in her new capacity as interior secretary, I think she has to, politically speaking, I think she has to navigate it a bit differently. She can't just represent a New Mexico district and call for his release on the regular. I think she recognizes that President Biden is her boss, that she has a job under Biden, but that doesn't mean she doesn't feel the same way. So my, my sense is that um, while maybe we don't see her out there publicly calling for Leonard Peltier's release on some kind of base, regular basis, my sense is that she perhaps is saying things privately. And I don't, I can't confirm that, but right. just connecting to some dots here and there, um, my sense is that it is very present on her mind and she is not one to shy away from a direct conversation or an uncomfortable conversation. So I got the feeling too. Right. And good. So she's got the presidency or at least sometimes. And so hopefully she'll light a fire under him, but my God, it's 48 years already. Do something. You know, this is outlandish. So, so Leonard Peltier himself, he did release uh, a statement on the anniversary, the 48th anniversary of his imprisonment, um, he seems to be keeping a positive outlook as much as one can. And he signed off and I'll, I'll share the whole thing a little later. But he, he wrote of his condition. He said, living here year after year, day after day, week after week plays on your concepts of time and your process of thought beyond what you can imagine. We've had to live in a state of survival ever since Columbus landed. Then he continues, there's nothing about my case, nothing about the Constitution, which is a treaty between the American people and the government that warrants my continual imprisonment. And he signed off by saying, from my heart to yours, plant a tree for me. My heart breaks for this man. We've His life has been destroyed. There's not much left of it. He's 78 years old. Let him go already. It, it, you know, this reminds me in a sense of what, what happened to um, former Alabama Governor Don Siegelman, where he was, uh, he was a political prisoner. I believe Leonard Peltier is a political prisoner. I mean, it's fair to say he is America's longest serving political prisoner. Very much and so. What, what gets me is that the, the million dollar question is, what does it take to convince, in this case, President Biden to grant clemency, to show mercy to a, 
a Native American elder who's been in prison for almost half a century, whose trial and his parole process and whose decades of appeals have all been marred with very obvious problems. And the question is, I I mean, I don't understand. Like the only thing that, that it comes back to is, like unrelenting opposition from the FBI, even even when I don't think that the people who run the FBI today feel particularly strongly about this. I think they feel like it's just something they have to keep doing. But people who are in the FBI today were not in the FBI 50 years ago, and they were not part of the J. Edgar Hoover era of the FBI, which was a very different FBI. And, and I see, having reported on Leonard now for about a year and a half, pretty intensely, I... I've tried to keep open the possibility, like, well, maybe there's something that that we don't see. Maybe there's something pretty damning that that no one's revealing that is the real reason for for him to that, that Leonard Peltier should remain in prison. But I have seen zero evidence of this. I have been told nothing, even when I've poked around privately with people. And I think it's just the the line that the FBI feels it has to hold. Because if they were to let him out or to, you know, with remove their opposition to to him being in there, I think there's a sense that they are betraying the two agents who were killed that day. And I think there's a sense of having to admit that they screwed up because they did. And wow. they don't I don't I think it's face saving right now. They would have to admit that they made some serious mistakes or not even mistakes that they 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 carried out an unfair, a clearly unfair and unjust process of incarcerating a Native American man because he was a, a, a social justice advocate. And right. Activist. Right. And that's it. I don't I don't see what else there is. No. And you would think that over the course of the last 50 years, you know, we went through some times when social justice warriors were accepted, you know, before, uh, you know, the Trumpism came in and, and ridiculed those of us who want to do right by the people of the world um you know you would and now the the political tides have turned but we do have a democrat in the white house who knows better um jen have you gotten to speak with or meet with leonard peltier i've talked to him um yes uh i haven't met him in person we've talked on the phone and we talk regularly on online oh, on via wow. email and how I, 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 I'm afraid to ask, but how are his spirits i i can only imagine where i'd be at this point and it wouldn't be in a good place based entirely on my interactions with him, they are, um, he's surprisingly positive and strong. And um, I think he has real ups and downs. Yeah. I mean, I, I speak to people who also talk to him and he certainly has lows. I mean, he's in a very, very, very small cell with another person where they can barely reach their arms out without touching each other. And they go into lockdown frequently um, for reasons related to COVID or, um, a fight or something that happens and everyone has to go into lockdown and it is an extremely isolating, mentally um, challenging. I almost want to say devastating time to be in lockdown like that because it's just against the fiber of being a human being. I mean, you're just in a, in a cage. So um, he's endured some pretty rough um, yeah. times in prison, just since COVID even, I mean, he got COVID and he got really sick he pulled through it somehow, but he's got some serious health issues too. So it's just somehow he's still there and he's still going and he's got this will to prevail. So it's amazing. Um, you know, the American justice system works except when it doesn't. And that's too often. And in cases like this, it's just, 
it's just horrendous. There's no excuse. We need to fix it. And I hope the president does something because this man's suffering and it's it's not it's just not right. Jennifer Bendry, thank you for keeping his story going. It's so important. And as I told you off the air, you know, I cover him whenever I can, but it's hard when there's not like a reason. Not, there's no movement. Nothing's happening. So maybe we can spur some movement. Maybe we can get something to happen. Uh, we just all have to make noise. Uh, that, there that's, are, there that's are little point. movements. I mean, I regularly ask people on Capitol Hill about him. I ask senators, I ask members of Congress, and there are letters that they write. When when a United States senator signs onto a letter or goes on the Senate floor and, and calls on the president to release Leonard Peltier, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And that has happened in the last year. And it, oh, okay. just this year, seven senators signed onto a letter. I saw that this year. To the president, seven Democratic senators wrote to the president, a Democrat, and their yep. same party. They work with him regularly. So has there there been a response to that? I did report on that letter, but I've heard nothing since. Well, I'm not surprised you've heard nothing because there's a lot of things that happen that don't get press and they're not public. But it is certainly on the minds of people who have who are in positions of power and who can have influence on the president. It's not just gone. There's movement. It's just incremental movements happening at a time when it appears there is potentially a window for compassion in the White House. Let's hope. All right. And then get a, send a letter to the White House. Call the White House. What is it? 456-1212. I think gets you the 202. 456-1212. I think gets you the switchboard. Leave a message. I mean, any little bit can only help. Certainly not going to hurt him at this point. Uh, Jennifer Bendery, thank you for, for writing this. Thank you for staying on top of the story. And hopefully I'll open up HuffPost one of these days and see your byline on a story that says he's been freed. We'll see. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Thank you. It was very nice to meet you. I know I've been reading your stuff for years, and I don't think we've ever spoken before. So I appreciate you coming on today. Thanks for having me. Jennifer Bendery of, oops, hold on, hold on. I knew, uh, uh, sorry about that. I had to turn the mic back on. Jennifer Bendery of HuffPost. Used to be Huffington Post. It's now officially HuffPost. Um, and thankfully, she's still on this story because most journalists who covered Leonard Peltier back in the day have moved on. So anyway, um, yeah, call the White House, you know, use the letter writing programs that are out there. There's progressivesecretary.org. We spoke with uh, the executive director here when I did the story last time, and she told me that they had a, a letter there to send to the president about Leonard Peltier. So it's already written for you. All you need to do is fill it out and send it off. Um, they'll send it off. So, you know, we just, we need to to stay, keep talking about it. Because if we don't, he gets forgotten. He's already been forgotten. All right. So uh, today's a weird day. I told you, so <laughs> I can't play other video for you. Usually I can play something on one screen and it will project onto the main screen and go out through the stream. Everything is foobar today. So just bear with me. Now I have a story and I guess it's just as well that I can't play the video for you because it's bad enough. I'm going to play for you Ron DeSantis's voice. Um you don't need to see him too, because yeah, you know, I, I, I don't want you to puke or anything. But this guy is so full of himself, and I really can't wait until he gets a um, 
a reality check. Because his attacks on anybody who doesn't look and think like him is really starting really starting to bug me. That's the understatement of the year. So we heard the story, and I've been talking about it here for a long time now, about how he upended this AP, um, this, this pilot advanced placement high school course that was in a, a pilot program in 60 um, schools around the nation on African-American studies. And um, so the, 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 the college board, and that's the group that, that um, puts out the tests, that approves the curriculums, that, you know, the SATs, the ACTs, it all, all goes through the college board. Well, I did a, a deep dive on the college board. The college board, and you can find them at collegeboard.org, and they administer the SAT, the PSAT, um, AP courses, college planning, college search, big future scholarships, and all kinds of other stuff, right? Um, I want to read where it says, hold on, if I can find it again. There was a thing that was about, uh, the, about us, college board, about us. Uh, we're the college board. We believe the road to college should come with directions, okay? And here's the description of who they are. College Board is a mission-driven, not-for-profit organization that connects students to college success and opportunity. Founded in 1900, this organization has been around for over for 123 years. Founded in 1900, College Board was created to expand access to higher education. Today, the membership association is made up of over 6,000 of the world's leading educational institutions, and is dedicated to promoting excellence and equity in education. Each year, each year, College Board helps more than 7 million students prepare for a successful transition to college through programs and services and college readiness and college success, including the SAT, the Advanced Placement Program, and Big Future. The organization also serves the education community through research and advocacy on behalf of students, educators, and schools. Okay, now Lauren in the chat room says, Nicole, the College Board is such a racket. Okay. Is it? I don't know. All I know is they've been in existence for 123 years. And, you know, this is how uh, certainly AP courses, there's a body. Well, Lauren, I guess you then and and, uh, Ron DeSantis are on the same page. Because here's Ron DeSantis. Now, he doesn't like what the college board is doing with this AP course in uh, African-American studies. The fact that they edited it to go along with his complaints isn't good enough. So Ron DeSantis makes a speech, and listen to what he said, uh, standing behind a podium that said, government of laws, not woke politics. Because being woke is a bad thing? Sorry, I think being aware of what's happening around us and being cognizant of other people's feelings is imperative. If that makes me woke, then I'm woke. And fuck you, Ron DeSantis. 
Meanwhile, here's what this moron said about Florida needs to re-examine its relationship with the with the college board. So, so this college board, like nobody elected them to anything. They're just kind of there and they're providing service. And so you can either utilize those services or not. And so they've provided the, the, these AP courses for a long time. Uh, but, you know, there, there are probably some other vendors who may, may be able to do that job uh, as good or maybe even a lot better. Yeah, like some Christian group that you want to turn the country into some white Christian nationalist uh, Nazi kind of uh, organization, because that's where Ron DeSantis is. Now, whether you like the college board or not, at least this is an organization that's been around for 125 years. Maybe it needs some reauthorization. Maybe it needs more oversight. But I'd rather have the 125-year-old college board dealing with education because it's made up of educators and institutions of higher learning uh, rather than some people that this moron handpicks to shove his agenda down our throats. Oh, listen, he keeps going. Uh, so I've already talked with, with Paul, and I think the legislature is going to look to to reevaluate kind of how Florida is doing that. Of course, our universities can or can't accept um, college board uh, courses for credit. Maybe they'll do others. And then also just whether our universities do the SAT versus the ACT. I think they do both, um, but we're going to evaluate kind of how that, You're going to evaluate. Goes, uh, but at the end yeah? of the day, the end of uh, the day? we highlighted things that were very problematic. And I tell you, it wasn't just people like wasn't, me saying that it, across the political spectrum. It wasn't just people like me saying it. It wasn't. This is a Harvard and Yale educated guy who wasn't just him. Sorry. People were saying that, like, you know, this really is junk. Why don't we just do and teach the things that matter? Why is it always someone has to try to jam their agenda down our throat? Jam their agenda down our throat? You're trying to jam your agenda down my throat, you fucking racist, bigoted piece of shit. This guy thinks his shit doesn't stink and that we should all believe everything he believes. Well, Ron DeSantis is a racist motherfucker who doesn't think black people have a right to know their history. History, who doesn't think there is a any what did he say any educational um, aspect to a, a, a course in African American studies? Ron DeSantis, you racist fucking piece of shit. I just need you to shut the fuck up because nobody asked you, bitch. I need you to shut the fuck up, bitch. Shut the fuck up, bitch. Just shut the fuck up, bitch. Shut the fuck up, bitch. Bow, bow. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Bow, bow. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Bow, bow. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Bow, bow. So in the same speech where he talks about the college board again, an entity that's been around for 125 years. Are there problems in it? Probably. But he wants to throw it out and put his people in so that they don't get to shove their agenda down our throats. Fuck you, DeSantis. Fuck you. God, in the same speech, there's another clip that I came across. And he says... He wants to hold, he's holding an event called End ESG Woke 
banking. Before I even listened to the clip, I'm like, what the fuck is ESG woke banking? So I did a little search. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance Investing. He says it's woke. Environmental, Social, and Governance. Gee, from Investopedia. Let's see what it says about ESG investing. Environmental, social, and governance, ESG investing, refers to a set of standards for a company's behavior used by socially conscious investors to screen potential investments. This is like, you know, when when universities now are divesting from Saudi Arabian investments, right? They don't want them in their school. I guess that's considered ESG right? Environmental criteria consider how a company safeguards the environment, including corporate policies addressing climate change, for example. Social criteria examine how it manages relationships with employees, suppliers, customers, and the communities where it operates. Governance deals with a company's leadership, executive pay, audits, internal controls, and shareholder rights. Sounds like pretty good criteria when you're deciding where to invest your hard-earned dollars. Look, when I was a kid, my dad invested some money for me and my two sisters. Once I got in college and I was an adult, I thought, you know, nice that he did this for me, but I looked at the investments and most, most of it was in power companies. It was in American Electric Power And Exxon, Exxon. And after the Exxon Valdez spill, I said, I don't want my money in Exxon. And I sold it. And of course, I invested in something else and and just quickly lost everything I had. Had I kept it in Exxon, it would have increased because my dad was an investor. He knew how to do that. But I I don't want to invest that way. I will not invest in a company who was not a good corporate citizen. So ESG investing, right up my alley, even though I'd never heard of it before. So now you want to hear what Ron DeSantis said about ESG woke banking? All right, get ready. Take it away, Mo Ron death sentence. The subject of today uh, is tackling this issue of ESG. ESG. Now, they created this. These things just happen. I don't know where this stuff comes from, but these elite- No, these things don't just happen. They don't just come from somewhere. They arise out of need because people with a conscience, people who give a shit about our planet and other people care about this kind of stuff. But you wouldn't know that, Ron DeSantis, because you're a fucking cretin. Okay, back to it. It's grabbing and they really want to impose it on the rest of us. So uh, it's called environment social governance. But basically, I think what it's devolved into is a mechanism to inject political ideology into <laughs> investment decisions. See, see if we show, pro, you know, trepidation about investing in a in a bad corporate citizen, we're, we're injecting political ideology. But if he wants to shove his God and his racism down our throat, well, that's just fine because that's how we all feel, right? It's it's ideology. 
it's political when we do it, but when they do it, it's just okay. Yeah, I hate his whiny voice too, Terry Taylor. And the thing is, once that whiny voice gets on the national stage, people are going to go, that's Ron DeSantis? Oh, my God. All right, keep going, moron. Corporate governance and really just the the everyday economy, uh, that is not ultimately something that is going to work out well for us here in Florida or in the United (laughs) States of America. Oh, please. There's not a real groundswell for this from the average uh, citizen. Want to bet? I think this is something where you have uh, a lot of folks, not just in the United States, but internationally. Sometimes they convene in places like Davos and they have (laughs) these ideas to try to do this. Yeah, they have these ideas. The best was, it just sprung up out of nowhere. Well, no, because back to Investopedia again. Investors have in recent years shown interest in putting their money where their values are. As a result, brokerage firms and mutual fund companies have started offering exchange-traded funds, ETFs, and other financial products that follow ESG investing strategies. Robo-advisors, including Betterment and Wealthfront, have promoted these ESG-themed offerings to younger investors. Now, see, this is all Greek to me because I don't have any money to invest. I'm still hurting from the 2008 Bush Depression. That's right. That's what I called it. The George W. Bush Depression. It's where I lost my first house. Well, not my first house. The first house that I lost. The, got this, this opposite world mentality, this, it's okay if I do it, but if you do it, it's, it's an agenda. ESG investors are also increasingly informing the investment choices of large institutional investors, such as public pension funds. According to an industry report from US SIF Foundation, whatever that is, Investors held $17.1 trillion in assets chosen according to ESG principles in 2020. That's up from $12 trillion just two years earlier. ESG-specific mutual funds and ETFs also reached a record $400 billion in AUM. It's all all of these financial kind of uh, <laughs> these uh, um, acronyms that I don't understand, but uh, okay, I will go with it. Um, in 2021, up 33% from the year before and are expected to continue to grow rapidly in the coming years. Here we go. ESG investing, Mr. DeSantis, is sometimes referred to as sustainable investing responsible investing, impact investing, or socially responsible investing. To assess a company based on ESG criteria, investors look at a broad range of behaviors and policies. Environmental, I'm just, I'm not going to read all the specifics. Social, governance, ESG criteria, and it goes on in specifics. Again, I'm reading from Investopedia, all about investing. And Again, you listen to this idiot who was holding an event called End ESG Woke Banking. He has said time and time again, Florida is where woke comes to die. Really? So he's saying in Florida, we are bigots. We are racists. We don't care about 
social graces. We don't care about education. We don't care about the environment. We don't care about sustainability. We don't care about being socially responsible. We don't care about any of these things. How is anybody supporting this idiot? I really would love to hear from somebody, anybody. Phone lines open, 954-889-6410. Anybody who supports Ron DeSantis and tell me what it is about him that you could possibly not only like, but respect. What about that thing could you vote for? Would you want to vote for? I just don't get it. And every day there's something new. Every fucking day. It's something new. I I, I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. I don't. I also don't know the answer about what the hell we've been shooting down out of the skies. You know, when they say that life can change in a split second, New York Minute, split second. Um, it Chet Klug Jr. says, Nicole, he won re-election by 20 points over Christ. Do I need to go through Florida politics with you? Yeah, he did. Because Charlie Christ was a fucking bad candidate. He's a former Republican. He's a guy who keeps running for office <clears throat> and losing. He's regarded as an opportunist, and this is the best the Democrats could come up with. Um, DeSantis won by more than 20 points, but he didn't have an explosion in votes from four years earlier. In fact, he barely held the numbers that he got four years earlier, Chet. The difference is the Democrats didn't vote because they didn't have a candidate that they wanted to vote for. Don't build him up as if he's something he's not. He's a piece of shit, a walking, breathing piece of excrement whose bigoted ways he wants to say this is Florida. Well, you know what? This isn't Florida. Or I guess it is because I'm leaving. Al G says Gillum was worse. Bullshit. Gillum had a breakdown afterwards. Would he have been worse? I don't think so. Anybody would have been better than DeSantis. My dog Jackson would have been better than DeSantis because DeSantis is a racist, homophobic, transphobic, ugly piece of shit. Am I making myself clear? You pointed the vote gap, but you did it without context. The context is he didn't garner Millions of more votes. He didn't garner thousands of more votes. The Democrats fell apart. The Democrats don't exist in this state anymore. And that's why I'm leaving. Because this is a fascist paradise now. This is where woke goes to die, don't you know? Sorry, I'm not in a great mood today. I lost a friend we lost a friend and we have we have a country that doesn't care about people and we have a a a, a governor who is as dismissive of others 
as I've ever seen. If you're not a white Christian follower of whatever faith he practices, then you're not good enough. And don't tell me to be chill. You know what? Don't tell me to be chill. I did vote for Charlie Crist. I voted for the Democrat, but other people didn't. He did not get the number of votes that Andrew Gillum did four years earlier. All right. I I think I'm done. I know I still got a few more minutes here, but I can't do this today. So I'm going to leave because you think I need to chill. I need to tell you to go fuck yourself. Maybe I'll play you a song again. I just need you to shut the fuck up because nobody asked you, bitch. I need you to shut the fuck up, bitch. Shut the fuck up, bitch. Just shut the fuck up, bitch. Shut the fuck up, bitch. Bow, bow, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Bow, bow, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Bow, bow, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Bow, bow. All right. I still got two minutes left, but I'm done. I'm really done. Tomorrow, Gotta Laugh will be here. On Wednesday, I'll speak with Philip Bump. He is a Washington Post reporter who has a new book out called The Aftermath, The Last Days of the Baby Boom and the Future of Power in America. I'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Bye. Nicole Sandler. What's news from NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network. What was widely believed to be a Chinese surveillance balloon was shot down by US F-22s off the coast of South Carolina last weekend, an action that spurred lots of discussion 
both for and against it. Then, this past Friday, another unidentified object was shot down again by a U.S. F-22, this one over Alaskan Air. It's time for objects in North American airspace. And on Sunday, yep, it happened again. The U.S. military shot down another high-altitude object over Lake Huron on Sunday afternoon. This according to a U.S. official and a congressional source briefed on the matter. During a briefing on these encounters, a top U.S. general wouldn't rule anything out. Let's go to Helene Cooper, New York Times. This is for General Van Herc. Because you still haven't been able to tell us what these things are that we are shooting out of the sky, uh, that raises the question, um, have you ruled out aliens or extraterrestrials? And if so, why? Because that is what everyone is asking us right now. Thanks for the question, Helene. I'll let the intel community and the uh, counterintelligence community figured that out. I haven't ruled out anything uh, at this point. We continue to assess uh, every threat or potential threat unknown that approaches North America uh, with an attempt to identify it. Mm. Air Force General Glenn Van Herc, who's in charge of monitoring North American airspace, said on Sunday he wouldn't rule out any explanation for the series of recent unidentified airborne objects, including aliens. He said, quote, I'll let the intel community and the counterintelligence community figure that out. But a second defense official said there was no evidence of extraterrestrial involvement. Mm, okay. But again, General Van Herc, the commander of NORAD, said he hasn't, quote, ruled out anything. Quote, I'm not going to categorize them as balloons. We're calling them objects for a reason, he said. Just as the weekend was beginning on Friday afternoon, officials were carrying out a five-hour search of the home of the former Vice President Mike Pence. And guess what they found? Yep, another classified document. They also took six other pages that did not have classified markings. This planned search came after other classified papers were found at the homes of Pence, President Biden, and, you know, the other former guy. Now, moving down to Florida, the College Board lashed out Saturday at Florida's governor, Ron DeSantis, and his state's education department, saying that their disparagement of the College Board's new advanced placement African-American studies course amounted to slander. This after a statement last month from the Florida Department of Education spokesman, who said that the AP class, now under a pilot program at about 60 public schools nationwide, quote, lacks educational value and is contrary to Florida law. And they even implied that the class contained falsehoods. The spokeswoman, Cassie Palelis, said, quote, if the course comes into compliance and incorporates historically accurate content, the department will reopen the discussion. Well, on Saturday, the College Board issued a response saying it was time, quote, to clear the air and set the record straight. This group oversees the AP program and the SAT, and they said that they regretted not immediately denouncing the Florida Department of Education's slander and that its failure to speak up, quote, betrayed black scholars everywhere and those who have long toiled to build this remarkable field. Well, DeSantis, who also recently called for the defunding of diversity, equity and inclusion programs in Florida's state colleges and universities, 
Yeah, he did. Last month said that AP class taught elements of a, quote, political agenda. (laughs) More recently, some on the academic left have denounced the College Board for revisions the group recently made to the class, changes that they view as caving to conservatives, but that the nonprofit College Board has argued were strictly apolitical. Yeah, right. Well, last week, Florida's Department of Education released a timeline suggesting that it had been privately protesting to the College Board for months about the course. The state agency said it was grateful that the nonprofit made some alterations to the course, but that it wanted more information before it could grant approval. This is just embarrassing. And yes, racist. Florida, indeed. Oh, and as DeSantis is pushing for what he calls constitutional carry, that means giving every Floridian the right to carry a gun without a permit or any kind of registration requirement. We now learn that as DeSantis prepared for an election night party in downtown Tampa last year, his campaign asked city officials to ban weapons from his victory celebration. And to add insult to injury, the campaign suggested that the city take responsibility for the ban on firearms, not the governor, who's been a vocal supporter of gun rights. Amazing. Over in France, thousands of people took to the streets on Saturday in a widespread protest against the government's plan to overhaul the French pension program. Get this. The French government is trying to raise the full retirement age from, are you sitting down? From 62 to 64, really. At least three days of nationwide strikes have been seen since the start of the year, at the largest of which more than a million people came out in support of keeping the pension age at 62. But union officials said the protest numbers had begun to dip as workers could no longer afford to go out on repeated strikes. But they did remain optimistic that the thousands of marchers would be able to send a message to French President Emmanuel Macron to not touch the program. 64, huh? All right. Well, although there are still a handful of live rescues from the rubble of the massive earthquakes that hit Turkey and Syria last week, there are still those miracles. Like more than 150 hours after the collapse, a six-year-old boy and a pregnant woman were pulled out alive. But unfortunately, most of the rescue work now has turned to recovery. And investigators are wasting no time in placing blame as the death toll now tops 33,000. Turkish officials on Saturday issued 113 arrest warrants for contractors in connection with buildings that collapsed during the quake. Turkish state media said that a number of these individuals have already been taken into custody and more arrests are likely to follow. But the actions were seen by some as a way for the Turkish government to shift blame away from themselves. President Erdogan has himself faced criticism for the alleged slow pace at which rescue efforts are being conducted. And finally, there was a big football game Sunday night and the Kansas City chefs beat the Philadelphia Eagles 38 to 35 in Super Bowl LV11 57 Super Bowl 57 the chefs overcame a 24 to 14 deficit kicking the winning field goal in the final seconds of regulation play following a holding call that allowed Kansas City to wind down the clock 
Chefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes, I think, threw for 182 yards and three touchdowns with no interceptions, including a 26-yard run on the final drive. The Chefs, what? Not the Chefs? The Chiefs? As in Indian Chiefs? Oh, well, that's different. Never mind. I got the- And that's just a bit of what's news for now. I'm Nicole Sandler. If you appreciate these reports and the Nicole Sandler Show, I hope you'll consider making a contribution. My work is listener supported and I can't do it without your help. Find out more at NicoleSandler.com and please click on that donate button.